Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod and I am back with a familiar face to bring you all the latest on the British royal family. How are you doing Maggie? Well hello, I missed you last week. You you were missed and, and I couldn't tell anyone at the time where you were headed off to because it was a, a serious assignment. You've only, you're currently, I'm talking to you now in New York, right? I know, we are just taking over, AirPods taking over the world here, Omid. <laughs> but you've just come back from, from India, which is yes, just, I've been watching yes. your reporting throughout the week. It has been, I mean, as we know, the situation out there mm. is so so worrying and scary and I think to to have been there on the ground and what you highlighted while you were out there was so important because I think not everyone really has an idea of just how bad things are right now. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a heavy assignment to say the least, but it was also so important. Like you say, I think we have to talk about these things even when they're they're scary and sad because you know, if we've learned one thing from this pandemic, it's how connected the world is. And, you know, what we hear from every doctor and volunteer and scientist is the same thing as, you know, no one is safe till everyone is safe. And so, you know, even if one country gets vaccinated, if other countries don't and the, and the virus rages, you know, who knows what's going to happen, uh, what variants could pop up. So it, it really is such a global issue but it, it, it was it was it was tough being there uh, but we also met so many amazing people and people that are stepping in to help that it was also really inspiring so it it, it was definitely a trip that I will will remember forever Omid. Oh, well it's good to hear that you are safe back yes, on US back. soil uh, ready to go through the week's news with me it has been, you, you, you've missed a few things. I, will, I know. I'll put it so I'm, I'm excited for the podcast this week, Omid, because, you know, I, I was so into reporting from India that I missed some of the royal gossip and news. So I'm so excited because I'm coming to this. And this is going to be like my little um, my prep course in the week in royals. I can't wait to get it all from the download <laughs> from Omid himself. <laughs> well, later in the show, we'll be talking, of course, about Prince Harry's huge mm. podcast appearance on Dax Shepard, even I heard about uh, armchair this expert. <laughs> uh, this has been everywhere. We just did a did a piece on it on Good Morning America today. Uh, Harry speaking, of course, very candidly about his own mental health journey. This is all ahead of his Apple TV series with Oprah that hits the screens later this month. We'll have more details on all of that. We'll also be looking into the work that the Cambridges did for Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK and hearing a little bit more about that. But before we get to those things, and this ties in nicely with what we were just talking about, Maggie, you, you will remember that Harry and Meghan were campaign chairs for the Vax Live event held by Global Citizen. And to say it was a success is perhaps underselling it. Um, a new statement released by Global Citizen said that the event itself helped mobilize $302 million wow, wow. and more than 26 million COVID-19 vaccine doses for the world's most vulnerable countries. Of course, the purpose of this event was to provide equitable vaccine access um, to the world's most marginalized communities, as well as healthcare workers in critical need of global support. And the Sussexes heavily involved in that for Archie's birthday, they announced their own drive for fundraising, calling on citizens to publicly donate to COVAX. And I think at the, as, at the time of recording this, they have mobilized over $600,000, which has helped or will go to help purchase well over 100,000 COVID-19 doses. So great work being done. You were, of course, in India. You know, you've seen how important it is for vaccine access to be accessible to all. 
are they starting to see some of the help coming from the rest of the world yet? A little bit. I mean, and this was amazing. You know, we actually uh, played some of uh, Harry's speech during our reporting because he, he, you know, referenced India by name and 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 reached out to the people there. And um, you know, what, what's interesting, what's happening in India, just to show how globally connected we all are, is you know, India is the world's vaccine powerhouse. They make the most vaccines of anyone, and they've had to kind of shut down distribution. So you know, it, it, on one hand, what's happening in India might slow down the vaccine rollout around the world, which makes these donations even more important. And so. So I think this is just a, a great reminder, uh, again, of how you know actions that take place in America or halfway around the world affect each other so much, especially when it comes to this pandemic. And these donations will make a huge difference. You know, luckily India is starting to, to up their vaccination, and some of the people we worked with had gotten their first dose. Uh, because you know the other thing that every doctor said that uh, the only way out of this are vaccines. And so we know what the answer is. It's just a matter of getting to that answer. And so what uh, Harry and Megan and the Archwell Foundation are doing and the Vex Live event is doing is so important because, you know, again, we know what to do. And so if we can actually raise the funds and the awareness and get vaccines in people's arms, that's how we'll get out of this pandemic and actually save lives. Yeah. We've seen so much from the Royals really highlighting the efforts that go into helping people, not just in the UK, but around the world. Uh, when it comes to the pandemic. Uh, yesterday, we saw Prince Charles make a visit to London's St. Bartholomew's Hospital, um, where he had pri- uh, specifically asked to privately meet the healthcare workers who had looked after his late father. But of course, whilst he was there, he also met with the staff to hear about their efforts um, and, and sort of the, the, the experiences they've had combating the COVID-19 pandemic. He said, I couldn't not stop to thank you all. Well done, all of you. You're amazing. I think for him, you know, of course, we've moved out of that period of national mourning and then even the royal period of mourning following Prince Philip's death. But it's clear that Prince Charles was really rocked by the loss of his father because we still see him making sure to acknowledge his father's death and the people that were around him in those final moments in the work that he's doing. Yeah, what, what, what struck me about this was sort of, uh, as with all you know, grieving families, uh, the rest of the world and life keeps going on, but the family is, is, is obviously still grieving. And on one hand, it feels like uh, the funeral for Prince Philip was so long ago, but it really wasn't. You know, it was just a few weeks ago. And so uh, this, this death and this passing is still so raw for all of them. And this moment, I think, brought that back for me that, you know, he wanted to thank the people that were there for his father. Um, and also it's a reminder that, you know, he lost his, his dad not that long ago. And, uh, you know, while, while news goes quickly and the royal drama keeps developing, um, this very real moment of, of grief is still real for the family. Well, of course, the big news this week was Prince Harry revealing more about his decision to step back from royal life. Um, He had pre-recorded an interview for Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast, a brilliant podcast, uh, one that I listened to myself, but also one that I don't think in a million years I ever would have imagined. (laughs) How did this happen? Prince Harry appeared. Yeah, this is all part of a, I guess, a promotional effort, if you will, for Prince Harry and Oprah's uh, next big television event. Not an interview this time, but a Mm. documentary series about mental health 
for Apple TV, where they both served as co-creators and executive producers. This will hit screens on May 21st. That's when all of the episodes become available for streaming on the platform. And so this series will see a number of famous and familiar faces joining Harry and Meghan on their journey that the show documents. So we'll see actress Glenn Close, Lady Gaga, um, but then also uh, Damar de Rosan from the San Antonio Spurs, Langston Galloway from the Phoenix Suns. So real cross-section of individuals. The show is called The Me You Can't See. As I said, it was co-created and produced by Harry and Oprah. And so it'll feature stories from these guests and others from around the world about mental health and emotional well-being issues. So it really kind of made sense for Harry to pick something like Dak Shepard's show, mm. which deals with very similar themes. Yeah, Dax you're right. has, of course, been extremely open and candid about his own mental health experiences and his, his life journey. So it, as unlikely a pairing as it is, it, it actually worked very well. It's also very um, LA of them. For me, this was a moment where I was like, oh, this is, they're really setting up their roots in California. Mm. And, you know, picking a show like Dax Shepard, someone who, you know, is uh, well known in, in LA and has been acting for quite some time and is very vocal about mental health and sort of is very established in that community. Uh, you know, it shows that they're establishing themselves in that community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I would say the the biggest item from this that everyone has been talking about for, for what is now two days after it first aired. And, you know, what I found so interesting about um, the, the timing of the release of the podcast is that they purposefully put it out at 2 a.m. <laughs> L.A. time to ensure that the British newspapers wouldn't get it until the following day because really? they wanted the show to have like I guess 24 hours to just breathe and exist huh. on its own before it gets pulled apart and scrutinized and micro analyzed um, so it was a, a clever media approach from them to How ensure that it got the right kind of coverage before it descended it into uh, <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm looking at the, the front pages of all the papers here in the UK today, perhaps not. Mm. But I think that it did at least get that that window where people were just organically talking about mm. what they experienced when they listened to the show. And listen, this was long. This was a 90 minute interview from Prince yeah. Harry. I think that this is his longest uh, aired interview that he's ever given. So it was, you know, I say interview, it was more of a conversation. But I think what, what everyone has focused on really was, as well as him talking about, you know, sort of the major reasons behind them deciding to relocate to the US, uh, Harry spoke very openly about uh, the sort of what he referred to the genetic pain and suffering mm. within his own family. He said that he believed that Prince Charles had perhaps inadvertently raised him the way he was raised as a young royal, um, but that Harry was very determined to not sort of to break that pattern and not do the same with his own children. So I'll play the clip so you can hear it for yourself, because I do think that it has been taken somewhat out of context, mm. surprise, surprise, in some of the coverage. Yeah, what you'll see in the Me You Can't See that comes out on the... 21st of May is very much a case of, I verbalise it, which is 
isn't life about breaking the cycle. Yeah. Right? There's no blame. Yeah. I don't think we should be pointing the finger or blaming anybody. But certainly when it comes to parenting, if I've experienced some form of pain or suffering because of the pain or suffering that perhaps my father or my parents had suffered, I'm going to make sure that I break that cycle so that I don't pass it on, basically. There's a lot of genetic pain and suffering that gets passed on anyway. Yeah, and the we, As parents, we should be doing the most that we can to try and say, you know what, that happened to me, I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen to you. Yeah. Mm. It's hard to do because some of it's so just It's really hard your... to do, but for me it comes down to awareness. Like yeah. I, never, I never saw it, I never knew about it, and then suddenly I started to piece it all together and go, okay, so this is where he went to school. This is what happened. I know this bit about his life. I also know that's connected to his parents. Yeah. So that means that he's treating me the way that he was treated. Exactly. Which means how can I change that? For my own kids and well here i am i've now moved my whole family to the us well, that wasn't the plan do you know what i mean <laughs> exactly. but sometimes you've got to make decisions and put your family first and put your mental health first and when i'm talking about mental health again on that spectrum piece like mental illness is at one end yeah and then total joy and happiness is at the other so you know look of course this i think when you when you belong to the royal family the issues concerning your family make slightly mm. bigger news than if it was you or I talking about our our families. But I think that, you know, look, we were in the middle of Mental Health Awareness Week here in the UK. Harry is an extremely active and passionate mental health activist. Mm-hmm. You know, he really drove that push over here in the UK to remove the stigma around talking about mental health and being so open and and making yourself vulnerable in conversation to share your very real lived experiences when it comes to your emotional well-being. And so it's great to see him being able to continue to do that. I have found some of the criticism that's come along the way Mm. almost sort of goes against what we have been talking about all week during Mental Health Awareness Week, which is that it is, you know, in the Royals, push this exact line themselves, Harry, William and Kate for the Heads Together initiative, when they said it's okay to say. So I think we have to kind of remember all of this as we talk about what is someone's very personal experiences. Mm. But it was so interesting to hear him open up about some of his, uh, his journey on this path of sort of finding his happiness. He spoke about Megan encouraging or being the one to encourage him to start going to therapy to sort of begin deconstructing the trauma and frustration that had long been affecting him. And I don't think we had really heard that before. I know there had been reports in the past that it was William that had encouraged Harry to seek some professional help. But it was very interesting to hear a little bit more about the sort of dynamics of his uh, marriage. Well, you know, it's interesting to hear some of these also um, uh, uh, interactions from the interview get played back because... You know, as I said, I was a little bit out of Royals news this week, uh, but I was watching the headlines come in, and my reaction was like, oh, man, what did Harry just do? Like, he just blasted his family. <laughs> um, but you're you're right. When you, when you listen to it, the way it's phrased is much more relaxed than I think perhaps the coverage leads you to believe. And so it's just a... Well, it's an interesting dynamic, I guess, is, is, is a word choice, <laughs> we could say. Uh, there were some su- sweet moments as well. Harry gave uh, some insight into those early dates mm. with Meghan, where he's talked about going to a supermarket here in the UK or a grocery store uh, to uh, alongside Meghan. Of course, they hadn't been pictured 
in public at that time. I don't even think anyone even knew that they were a couple. And so to go out in public together without anyone noticing took quite the plan. Like the first time that Megan and I met up for her to come and stay with me, we met up in a supermarket in London, pretending that we didn't know each other. So texting each other from the other side of the the cloak and dagger. There were people looking at me, giving me all these weird looks and coming up and saying, hi, whatever. And I was there texting, saying, is this the right one? She goes, no, you want parchment paper. I'm like, okay, where's the parchment paper? Um, So it was nice, you had a baseball cap on, like looking down the floor. I don't know how many times you've done that when you're walking along the street, trying to stay incognito. It's like, whoa, signpost. Oh, someone's dog. Oh, hi. It's amazing what you see, how much chewing gum you see. Sure. And how many people's shoes you see. It's a mess. (laughs) So living here now, I can actually like lift my head and actually I feel different. My shoulders have dropped. So's hers. I can't imagine. And you can walk around feeling a little bit more free. I get to take Archie on the back of my bicycle. Now I've said that, they're probably going to (laughs) be. But it's like, (laughs) I I would never have the chance to do that. You know, if you haven't heard the podcast to anyone listening, and I'm I'm sure you guys have by now, but do make the time to, to listen to it. Because I think for Harry, who has lived so much of his palace walls and is now out in the US doing things differently. Uh, They've set up the foundation, as we spoke about earlier, it is going from strength to strength. There is a happiness in his voice that I think that anyone has sort of been on this journey as an eyewitness um, would feel, I think it's a a nice feeling to see it. Mm. You know, I don't know the guy, but I'm happy for him. And, you know, I think ultimately when we followed that experience that they had stepping away from their royal roles people did question would they find their happiness would they find that freedom or that the, the independence that they were looking for and the, the the space to thrive in and you know harry said it best himself to dax he said that both he and megan are able to walk around california with their sort of shoulders down a little bit that they're mm. not they don't have the same weight and pressure on them that they once had which is you know, ultimately, that's what they were looking for, right? Yeah, you do. You do notice this this ease. I think that it's is somewhat shocking, honestly, and it's almost easy to forget, that, as you just mentioned, that this isn't something um, the royal family normally does. You know, on one hand, I think mm. we're almost getting used to them being so open that it's easy to forget how rare it really is. But you know, have you ever? Have we ever heard this level of detail about early dates and grocery shopping and parchment paper from really any other <laughs> any other royal before? Yes and no. It's very interesting because, of course, I think one of the main criticisms that we've seen from within the British press is that sort of how dare Harry say anything about his uh, relationship with Prince Charles because Prince Charles hasn't given permission to talk about that. And, you know, that's a perhaps a separate conversation itself. I'm sure if I spoke about uh, relations with my own family members, they might not like that, or they, they might, or they might. However, uh, it made me remember, um, this is obviously long before I was a journalist, but in, in my years covering this, I've also read the things from the past. Although not an autobiography, was officially authorised by Prince Charles, and uh, Dimbleby had an incredible amount of access to Charles at the time as he wrote this. So every chapter was approved by the prince. And one of those chapters goes into, I would say a high amount of detail about Prince Charles's own relationship with his, and unresolved issues, I should add, with the Queen and Prince Philip. 
he talks about uh, both of them, or I should say Jonathan Dimbleby writes about the Queen and Prince Philip being both emotionally distanced from Charles as he grew up. And that was something that he really struggled to come to terms with. He also had a very difficult relationship with his father, who he felt was almost bullyish in his ways and said that he would torment him by making him feel inadequate, being sort of very tough on him. Of course, they were raising a future heir to the throne. Um, he talks about the private school in Scotland that he was sent to by Prince Philip, that he still resented his father for sending him to uh, because it was the place that he desperately didn't want to go to and when he arrived was bullied and beaten up on a near daily basis. So we have actually seen and heard members of the royal family, whether it's directly or indirectly through authorised biographies, talk about the very sort of difficult and challenging relations that they have within the family and you can't really blame them. I mean it is I hate to use the word, but it is a dysfunctional family simply because it is not just a family. It is also an institution. It is a family business um, on a much higher level. And I don't think that you can ever have completely normal relationships within that when the the sort of the balance of power is very within the establishment is very different to that within the family. Um, we only need to look at the 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 tensions or the divides between William and Harry to see examples of that. Two brothers that grew up and should have been equal but one was the spare and one is the future king and the spare was often reminded of that along the way. So I don't want to sort of start analysing someone else's situation but it is, it, there is certainly precedent for family members not only having had these issues but also talking about them. You know, it's it's interesting because you can understand the argument that this is a, a a private matter. Why is it being aired publicly? And maybe even if you know you or I were to do this, well, one, no one would care if you or I did this. But you know, your family might be uh, upset that you're kind of airing private mm -hmm. uh, family dirty laundry so publicly, right? But at the same time, they're public figures. And you know, if we kind of circle back uh, full circle to talking about mental health, and that's something that both Harry and Dax have been so open about. I mean, these are problems that. That everyone deals with. Every family is a bit dysfunctional, right? Like every child has some types of issues with their parents, even if they have a great relationship, that's just life. And so, uh, you know, while you can understand why, there, why there's criticism, you also then have to understand why maybe this should be applauded as well, because it's normalizing these kinds of conversations around, you know, family dynamics and difficult father-son relationships. And even if they love each other, I'm sure there's things that they want to work on. And so, you know, I think it's important to realize that perhaps this is a way to have other people have these important conversations and come to peace with their own family relationships and maybe even improve upon them by talking about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always more complicated complicated than a headline uh, leads you to believe. Mm, absolutely. I thought it was fascinating to hear Harry comparing his royal life to the Truman Show because that's 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 often how it... <laughs> Which also was one of my favourite movies. Of, it was, I think it was one of the first DVDs I bought but that, I, that's irrelevant. I don't know why. Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was a fantastic film. But You're it's, dating uh, yourself, But it is um, one of the one of the things that I've often thought of when I sort of stood on the outside covering the royal family, it is it has a definitely has a Truman Show esque quality to it. He also went on to said that it was sort of like living in a zoo, which again is not something 
new to hear from members of the royal family. You know, Princess Diana felt that she was in the middle of a goldfish bowl. Um, I remember having a conversation some many years ago uh, after, must have been about three or four years after uh, Kate had married William and was, of course, the Duchess of Cambridge, living at Kensington Palace. At that time, this was after, of course, their stint in Wales. And I asked the this individual who was working for them, I said, how, I said, how does she find life within the palace? Because of course she would at the time go out running in Kensington Gardens, but occasionally a photo might get taken or there might be a spot of bother with someone. And this person's answer was that she felt like it was being a caged animal at times. So listen, we, I think from the outside, it always looks very different to how it must feel on the inside. But again, it kind of goes to a bigger conversation that we sometimes have is that, is it fair to sort of hold this family in this position where they are forced to live lives in which, listen, you've watched The Crown. I know it's based on the who, what, where, when with its own sort of added fictional script on top of it. But we see time and time again how unhappy everyone is within that space. And that's quite sad when when you think that it's not necessarily something they have to do. Yeah, it's so tough because, you know, I think it's, it's impossible to ignore the fact of what a privileged position they're in. And, you know, people can easily say, but they're living in a palace. You can't feel that bad, right? But again, not everything is complicated and not as easy as it seems on the outside. And, you know... It, just because they're living in the palace doesn't mean that there's not complications and issues and it comes with its kind of own set of, uh, well, goldfish mm. bowl rules, right? And so um, being open about it, I think, just shows that, you know, if you have that vulnerability, hopefully it leads to other people being open about their own issues as well, which, you know, will, will yeah. hopefully help people. This all feeds into the work that we've seen from members of the royal family when it comes to uh, raising mental health awareness. Uh, we saw it start with Kate William and Harry together on the Heads Together project within the Royal Foundation. And over here, it has been Mental Health Awareness Week. And we saw the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge stepping out to promote the cause that's also just as important to them as it is to Harry. Uh, It was a series of three engagements, all in Wolverhampton, uh, youth-focused mental health initiatives, um, all with their own sort of twist or we've seen a number of charities like this supported by the young royals in recent years but i think what everyone got a kick out of was the pictures of william and kate playing table tennis together and and william's slightly dodgy (laughs) ball skills i think that they i noticed on the kensington palace twitter account he had even written or someone had written an excuse for said ball skills by blaming the shoes I can't help it. I know it's so silly, but I always love these moments where you get a glimpse at kind of like the nerdy <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah, it was always my, uh, any royal engagement I've been on in the past, whether it's with the, uh, the Cambridges or the Sussexes or whoever, whenever we do a, we get to the, the venue, as you know, and then we'll often do a little tour or a recon around the venue. So we know what the members of the royal family are going to do when they arrive. And because we don't all get to follow them around, and I always get very excited when I see like sports equipment or footballs, soccer balls, yeah. <laughs> tennis rackets or something, because you know that's going to be the great picture. That's the image of the day. <laughs> it's so true. I think one of my favorites is when we were with um, 
Will and Kate in Pakistan and they played cricket. And I had just started the, the royal beat, so cricket was so new to me. So I was nerding out on cricket. And then we saw Kate playing cricket and I was like, this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always perfectly dressed, of course. Um, but yeah, this. Mm, oh, of course, of course. <laughs> this day also saw William and Kate visit Base 25. It's a charity that specializes in supporting young people that have difficulties accessing sort of the mainstream mental health services. So they offer family counselling, there's a drop-in centre, young people can basically access a number of things there from computers to group activities, career advice, crisis support, doing really great things in the heart of the community there. And for William and Kate, I think this is where they uh, come alive at engagements. I think being around young people, being able to ask the questions, to sh- genuinely show interest in what it is that they're there for. Um, and I think what I've really enjoyed seeing in, from Kate in the last few years is how proactive she is at engagements. Uh, she would often be a few steps behind William in the past, or perhaps he would naturally take the lead. He is, of course, the future king, so it makes sense. But I think that there there are now times where we see Kate almost sort of take steps ahead on her own and engage in her own conversations elsewhere in the room. And, and, and that's that's great to see in it. And it has to happen as well, because, of course, they are stepping into much bigger roles. Um, so the day, of course, ended with animals. Sadly, you nor I were there. So <laughs> it was a wasted opportunity. This is the real tragedy. <laughs> uh, they stopped by a place called the Huggle Pets in the Community. Uh, it's a non-profit. Even the name yeah, It's a non-profit that uses animal-assisted therapy to work with children who have either educational needs or mental health needs. And so they were there um, to not only meet some of the animals, but also visit. They had There's a sensory uh, activity centre that's got an aquarium there. Um, but this is, you know, this is great. This is all good stuff. It, it was capped off today with uh, William and Kate participating in this year's Mental Health Minute, which, if you didn't know what it is, it's a 60-second message that's simulcast across, I think, 500 radio stations in the UK and this is in support of Shouts which is the crisis support text messaging service Mm -hmm. um, that's available everywhere in the UK much like the crisis text line in the US Um, should remember this because I've done enough with them in the past 741741 you can text them 24-7 for free help information anything you want and we have the same thing here in the UK and you'll remember that Harry, Meghan, William and Kate were all involved in the launch of Shouts. Um, so they do exactly the same here in the UK, providing free mental health support via text message. Um, but this Mental Health Minutes uh, wasn't just William and Kate that were famous voices in it. David Beckham took part in it, as did Jamie Oliver. In fact, see how many voices you can recognise as we play it now. Every radio station across the nation right now, in this very moment, is singing the same song. That's right. We're all broadcasting the same energy. Transmitting much-needed empathy. We're all hitting the same notes. Taking time to reflect through the most challenging of years. Coming together to share understanding, love and hope. We have started many much-needed conversations 
and that is exceptional. Right across the nation, the shift every generation is playing against stigma towards change is incredible. So as we come to the end of this Mental Health Awareness Week, it would be great to keep talking. To a loved one, friend or colleague, let's keep making the conversation accessible. Because our mental health binds every single one of us together. It's universal. It unites us. It makes us inseparable. It's, it's always so great to, to hear directly from them. And the, the reach is incredible. You know, that went out to 20 million people heard that. And so, you know, you hope that actually makes a difference. And I know we've said this so many times in this podcast already, but, you know, if there's there's one great thing that can come out of royal publicity, <laughs> it's helping others and raising awareness. And so you hope that, you know, this has done that. Yeah, it's great for these things to come up. I think that, you know, the more effort that can be done into sort of normalizing these conversations around mental health, I think the more everyone can benefit from it. And, you know, and I, and I say that in light of perhaps some of the more critical coverage over Prince Harry's appearance on the mental health podcast with Dax Shepard, because ultimately that sets us back. Um, it sets the work that members of the royal family also do in this space back as well, because, you know, as we saw with Piers Morgan after the Oprah interview by sort of... Uh, attacking someone for sharing their own sort of mental health experience you're making others afraid to perhaps do the same so I hope that any of that sort of negativity from this week doesn't put anyone off because ultimately the the messaging that we've discussed throughout this episode coming from members of the royal family and the great organizations that they work with is really all all that matters it's a, good, it's a good ending message to remember that at, at the end of this week, uh, if, if you remember one thing, it's to you know, get help when, when you exactly. need it. Exactly. As, as they say, it's okay to say. And on that note, I think that brings mm-hmm. us to the end of a, a fairly action-packed episode, Maggie. You, yeah. you <laughs> I understand, are going to be staying in the US for a little while. So I'm not going to have you back I for, am. for a minute, am I? I know. Don't worry, though. But hopefully by the time I get back in the UK, we'll be more open and can actually go inside and perhaps can actually be in the same room when we do this podcast. So that's something that's to look forward exciting. to. That's very exciting. Do you know what? I'm going to end this episode with the, the, the highlight. So I will be 50% vaccinated when we next talk. Well, that's the first step. <laughs> that is the first step. There is a, there's, there's hope in sight, Omid. Exactly. Well, listen, big love to everyone that has listened to the show, supported the show in the recent weeks. You are why we do this. Uh, a huge thank you, of course, to the ABC audio team in New York, including Anthony Alley, for bringing this show together. Maggie, people can find you on Twitter at... At Maggie Ruley. Uh, and I at Matt Scobie. Just use the hashtag the AirPod so we can find it. And until next Friday, take care of yourselves and each other. And see you soon.